Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn move related show on the planet Earth, the John Campion Show, coming to you from right here on my YouTube channel. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, TV, streaming, all sorts of good things. And ladies and gentlemen, it is awesome having you here today. And I'm I'm actually kind of excited because today... The Morbius, uh, the new Morbius trailer did drop. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show, but I'm very stoked about it. I was really excited about that from the moment that I got the email yesterday saying that they were going to drop it today, and it did drop. We'll talk about that in a little bit because we have a number of things we're going to be talking about. Chris Pratt is Garfield? Excuse me? That and a couple things more, and it is good to have you guys here today, and here's how today's show is going to go. We break the show into two parts. In the first half of the show, we talk about some predetermined topics. And then in the second half of the show, we take your live comments and questions. Now, if you have a live comment or question that you'd like us to read on this show or an upcoming companion video, simply use the tip link that's down in the description of this video. You can go click on it there, or you can enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question read on one of our shows if we deem it appropriate to use on our show. And of course, you'll be supporting our channel at the same time. And all of us involved here at the John Campus Show, thank you guys so very much for your support. Also, a little bit of house cleaning. We want to remind you guys, if you can't be in front of a YouTube video for your daily fix of the John Campus Show, Good news, there is the John Campia Show podcast. That's the audio-only version of this show. Just go to your favorite podcasting app of choice, search for the John Campia Show podcast, subscribe to it today, so the show will be there when you need it. And we thank all of you guys who have already subscribed to the podcast feed. Okay, guys, that down. Let's do one quick off the top here before we get into our main topics. And that off the top is this. You know, there's a couple of really interesting things that have been going on uh, here lately, but one of the more interesting things has been the high anticipation for the new Christopher Nolan film. It's always a big deal when Christopher Nolan is getting his new film put together. Now, we already know that his new film is going to be called Oppenheimer, kind of based around the guy who kind of helped create the atomic bomb, and it's going to be starring Killian Murphy, who has worked with Christopher Nolan before. So that's exciting. However, we've also just got more cast announcements because a couple of days ago we found out that the cast was going to be growing right emily blunt had joined the role i mean that's amazing in and of itself emily blunt is incredible but now there's a couple of more big names to add to this new christopher nolan on top of emily blunt and killian murphy we've now found out through variety that robert downey jr and matt damon are also joining this Christopher Nolan project. Uh, this comes to us from the folks over at Variety who write, Robert Downey Jr. and Matt Damon will star in Christopher Nolan's upcoming World War II epic, Oppenheimer, a drama about the development of the atomic bomb, which I just think, this is good. this movie I think is going to be nuts. I cannot wait. It's not clear who Downey Jr. and Damon will be playing in the film. Nolan is assembling a star-studded cast, one that includes Killian Murphy as J. Robert Oppenheimer and Emily Blunt as his wife, Catherine. And... Guys, listen, I was already excited about this movie just because, again, it's a major event in Hollywood whenever Christopher Nolan's going to be doing his next film. I even like Tenet. I didn't understand half a Tenet the first time I watched it. I still liked it when I first watched it, but it wasn't until I had a chance to finally watch it at home with subtitles on. Because, look, the one, we all know this, right? The one that we've talked about this a lot, the one thing Christopher Nolan really does need to work on 
is the instructions he gives to his audio designers and how they mix audio. Because sometimes the dialogue is just, I mean, this is, it's been a thing with Christopher Nolan films, right? Sometimes you just can't understand the dialogue. That being said, I like Tenet. I love Dunkirk. I thought Dunkirk was incredible. My favorite Christopher Nolan film is not The Dark Knight. Now, my favorite Christopher Nolan film uh, is actually uh, Insomnia. I, I love Insomnia. That movie to me is just bonkers, crazy good. And of course, he's got all of his others as well. Robert Downey Jr. has been an interesting, is an interesting case study though. Because, and I'm not trying to draw direct parallels here. But when you go back, you remember he, you know, his, he was pretty hot in Hollywood for a while. He was pretty hot in Hollywood. And then through, let's just call it self-sabotage, we won't go into all of Robert Downey Jr.'s past drama. He's done a great job kind of bringing himself back from all of that, so we won't rehash all that. But he did self-sabotage his career. Kind of started a comeback, self-sabotage his career again. And his he was pretty much done as an A-list star in the business. And when all of a sudden Jan, John Favreau decided to take a shot on him and Marvel bought into it and made Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man, which caught a number of people by surprise. Uh, and by the way, Kevin Cow sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Kevin. Um, it caught a number of people by surprise. And ever since then, he's been rolling. And then, of course, a number of years ago, some people forget about this. It, his original contract was coming up and it didn't, it was looking for a little while like he wasn't going to be able to make a deal to continue on playing Iron Man. They were too far apart. And then all of a sudden he did that movie, The Judge, that did not do well at the box office. And then all of a sudden he signed back up to be Iron Man again. So he's back and then he finishes his run as Iron Man, finishes because you guys know I've told you, I guarantee you within the next three, four, five years, he will be back as Tony Stark in the MCU. I guarantee it. Anyway. Um, but he ends off his run in Iron Man and he gives us Doolittle and Doolittle is a whole kind of special awful that d deserves its own kind of book to be written about it. Not one of, not like the worst film in Hollywood history. Don't get me wrong. But it was, it was pretty bad, but he's still Robert Downey Jr. The dude is so loaded with natural talents. Incredible. And Matt Damon, to me, Matt Damon is just one of these guys where, Maybe if to use a sports analogy, maybe Matt Damon is never the MVP, but he's always every single year for like 15 years in the league in the top five of MVP voting. You know what I mean? You know, some guys will be an MVP for two or three years and then drop off. Matt Damon is always like right there. His, his talent level is incredible. I loved him in the last duel, even though nobody went to go see it. I loved him in that. Obviously, The Martian and everything he's done with the, the Bourne films and everything. Love him. Adding all that to this already great source material, this true story in Oppenheimer, with a director like Christopher Nolan. And right now, the cast is going to grow, but we already know that the cast is Killian Murphy, Emily Blunt, Robert Downey Jr., Matt Damon, in a film directed by Christopher Nolan. Two words. Yes, please. I, I, I mean, this sounds great. This sounds unbelievable. I'm very excited about it. Question is for you guys. What do you think about the addition of Robert Downey Jr. and Matt Damon to the new Christopher Nolan film, Oppenheimer? I think it sounds great. Maybe you don't really think so. Maybe you didn't like Tenet. You're like, yeah, Tenet had a great cast too. And look what happened to that. I don't know. Whatever you guys are feeling about it, jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, 
Let's now move into our main topics here today, shall we? And how do we select our main topics here in the John Campius Show? Well, it's really simple. You see, you guys come up with our main topics. Whenever you come across a big topic issue or story that you guys feel we need to cover as a main topic here on the show, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's absolutely free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show that down let's get into main topic number one and our first main topic today gets submitted to us by peters 91 who writes hey john i just saw that boondock saints 3 was announced with norman and sean patrick back as troy with troy duffy directing do you like the first two movies and what do you think thanks john all right thanks a lot for sending this in and uh Let me tell you about this. This is a day I honestly thought was never going to come. I don't don't mind telling you that. This was a day I never thought was going to come. Now, many years ago, we all knew a Boondock Saints 3 was going to come. But then we started hearing about all the drama and then all the problems and nothing happened and nothing happened. And then even at some point, a couple of the guys involved in film were starting saying, I don't know if this is ever going to happen. And if you were to ask me last week, John, do you ever think they're going to get their ducks in a row? Do you ever think they're going to get their act together and get a Boondocks, Boondocks Saints 3 made? I honestly would have told you no. I don't think this is ever going to happen. But it's happening. Oh my God, it's happening. Guys, I cannot express to you how excited I am about this. I love Boondock Saints. Before there was John Wick, there were the Boondock Saints. The patron saints of the down and outers, if you will. The, the patron saint, the action patron saints of the slacker bros. I mean, I don't know how you want to define it, but the boondock saints is amazing. And by the way, nobody ever talks about Willem Dafoe and Willem Dafoe and the boondock saints were amazing. And listen, there was talk for a little while about a boondock saints series being made. You remember that a couple of years ago, that also never came to fruition, which just kind of added to the belief that man, they're never going to be able to get this thing going. And then you know, once Norman Reedus started getting really popular with Walking Dead, then a lot of people are thinking, well, now they're really never going to make this thing. Now they're really never going to make it because he's too big of a star now and stuff like that. But apparently their love for this project, they've never given up on it. They wanted to do it. This comes just from the folks over at Screen Rant who writes, the Boondock Saints 3 has been greenlit with original stars returning and filming to begin in May of 2022. So just a few months away. The Boondock Saints was released in 1999 and follows fraternal twin Irish brothers Connor and Murphy McManus who got on a vigil who go on a vigilante killing spree to rid their town of criminals all in the name of God starring the Walking Dead's Norman Reedus and Sean Patrick Flannery as the two brothers the film also starred Willem Dafoe who is so good in this, these films as a cop on their trail and Billy Connolly as their partner in crime I loved Billy Connolly in these things too by the way I thought he was fantastic. Listen, this, I don't want to overhype 
for those of you who may not have seen, because I've already seen a couple of you guys in the live chat mention, oh man, I never saw Boondock Saints. I don't want to overhype it as if, as if Boondock Saints is one of the top 10 greatest films of all time. I'm not trying to suggest that. It's a smaller budget, little, like very character-centric action here with these two wild characters, the brothers at the center of it. And it's just balls fun. Like, for me, it is just absolutely balls fun. I loved these films. And it's mostly because I just love the dynamic and the banter between the brothers. Like, I literally, even if there was no action, I could sit down and listen to the two brothers just talk for a 90-minute movie. And to me, it would be absolutely hilarious. And so, I don't know what it was. I've been reading through a bunch of the reports. And as of right now, I don't know what it was that created the tipping point that moved boondock saints from being, this is never going to happen to, Oh my God, we're going to be able to do this. I don't know what the final thing was. I haven't in all the reports that I've read, I've never read like one definitive thing says, okay, it finally happened when let's say Norman Reedus came in and said, okay, you know what? I miss it too much. I'll do it. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's been a slow burn getting this thing going, whatever the case is. Uh, this thing is hilarious. Red comment when they argue about the rope in the first ones in the live chat there. Um, I, I love this thing. I never thought this day would come, and here it is. Boondock Saints 3 is officially happening. It's filming in early 2022. I'm thinking that's probably either going to mean a late 2022 or an early 2023 release. Whenever it comes, I'm just glad it's coming. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this? The day that a lot of us thought was never going to happen has happened. It's now here. The Boondock Saints 3 is coming. Maybe you've never seen the original ones yet. You got to go and watch the original ones. Maybe you watched them and you never actually thought they were that great. I would understand. That's not like they're big budget tentpole films or anything. Or maybe you like me and you always adored these films and you're just really happy that they're finally coming back. Whatever you guys are thinking, jump on down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. Before we get on to the next main topic today, I want to thank uh, the people who, who this episode of the John Campy Show is brought to you by today, and that is the great folks over at Get Upside. Get Upside is one of these, I'm, I'm just telling you right now, whenever you hear about a deal and you hear the phrase, there's nothing to lose, you always get suspicious when you hear that, right? You always, when they say, hey, you got nothing to lose. Get Upside is actually one of these apps that there literally is nothing to lose. It is an app you put on your phone and you use it at a whole bunch of different businesses. You take it to the gas station and it actually earns you cash back as you use it. It costs you nothing. There's no drawback. You just go, you look, check in at a, say, a gas station. If you're going to fill up with gas, instantly it'll take 20, it'll cash you 25 cents into your account for every gallon that you get of gas. And then you can choose how you get paid out. The money just accumulates in your account. You can have it transferred to your bank account. You can transfer it to your PayPal. You can even get paid in form of like an Amazon card or another e-gift card as well. And it is super simple to use. All you have to do is go into Android or Apple. And you know, when I was looking at too, on Apple iOS store, this app has a five-star rating. So don't just listen to me or anybody else or even their own website. It's got five stars from users on the iOS store right now. I haven't looked at the Android one because I recently switched over to an iPhone. I'll fill you in on my update on that in a little while. But and it's not just for gas stations. It's for other businesses as well. So here's what you do. 
Go and get Upside, and when you log into it, put in the promo code CAMPIA, that's C-A-M-P-E-A, and that can get you an additional 25% cents or 50 cents per gallon when you take it to the gas station. And, of course, there are other businesses as well, restaurants and stores and things like that. Just check out on the app and see what's available to you. And once again, we want to thank the good folks over at Get Upside for providing such a great app. So go and check that out today. All right. With that down, guys, let's move on to main topic number two, shall we? And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Jay Mods, who writes, Hey, John and crew. So, Chris Pratt voicing Mario for the upcoming Super Mario film was shocking to say the least. The Hollywood Reporter has just reported that he is now voicing Garfield in an animated film based on the character. Would love to hear your thoughts. Big fan of the show, by the way. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, Jay. And yeah, you're not wrong. It it wasn't. It was just a little while ago that we found out that Chris Pratt was going to be doing the voice of Mario in a live action or in a Super Mario, in an animated Super Mario movie coming, and he was going to be doing the voice of Mario. And of course, I love Chris Pratt. Look, I I, I make no bones about it. I don't hide it. I love this guy. I love him as a performer. I've loved him ever since he was in Parks and Rec. I obviously I think he's great in the MCU as Star Lord, as Peter Quill. I even li- I like him in the Jurassic Park movies. I just think he's a great performer. I also like him very much personally. You guys know I've had the opportunity a number of times to get together with Chris Pratt, and he has always been. I, I mean, I think it's safe to say he has been my best celebrity experience with. He's just a super nice. Super authentic, amazingly kind, wonderful guy. I, I've just always really liked the dude. So I, I I give you full disclaimer on that, right? So when they announced that he was going to be the voice in Super Mario, I was like, okay, I'll get by the fact that as an Italian myself, I'm like, I'll get by the fact that they're not getting, you know, Italians to do the voice of these two iconic Italian characters. Actors portray people they are not in real life. So I'm fine with that. I'm okay with that. But it was a little bit strange. The idea of him being the voice of Mario has grown on me. But still, it was a little bit strange at first. And then they announced he was going to be Garfield. Now, before I give my thoughts on the Garfield thing, let's go over. This comes to us from the folks over at uh, Deadline who write, The still untitled project will be written by David Reynolds, who wrote Finding Nemo, which was great, and directed by Mark Dindal from Chicken Little and The Emperor's New Groove, both of which I like. Uh, Alcon acquired the rights from Davis, who will also serve as an executive producer with Bridget McNeil from uh, Assume and Craig Sost. Uh, John Cohen, Despicable Me and Angry Birds, and Stephen P. Wegner will produce, along with Alcon principals, uh, Kosov and Johnson. Along with Alcon Entertainment, uh, DNEG Animation will animate the, and produce the film. DNEG CEO Namit Malhotra, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, and DNEG President Ton Tom Jackom will serve as the producers. So, there are two questions that come to mind. The first question is, why is this movie getting made? Before we even get to the Chris Pratt part, let's ask, let me ask the question. Why is this movie getting made? I mean, they did Garfield, what was it, in 2005? Help me out in the live chat, guys. Uh, help me out in the live chat. When, when did that Bill Murray 
Garfield one come out? I want to say 2005, but you know me. I'm horrible with movie dates. Epic dub time is saying 2004. So is Al Johnson. Okay, so back in 2004, I would take your guys' word over mine on that. I'm terrible with movie dates. Back in 2004, they did it with the great Bill Murray. And that was terrible. Now, the two Garfield movies that they made made money. They they did. They made money, but they were terrible. And it left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths with Garfield. Garfield, I believe, was introduced in 1976. And he was... I remember when I was in grade school, like in the 80s, I remember like Garfield was a cool thing. Whenever they had book ordering day, you know, I would always want to order the new Garfield book. I love, you know, Garfield. I love Odie, you know, all that kind of stuff. I love the character. I really did. But did we really need to see him in a live action? Then he even had his own cartoon series. But did we need a live action Garfield? I would propose no. Then again, no movie in history has ever been needed. But there was really no need for a Garfield movie. But they made it. They got Bill Murray doing the voice. And and they are what they are. In 2021, I is there a market demand? I, and I ask this, I, I don't ask this facetiously. I ask this honestly. Is there a market demand for another Garfield? Like, I know I personally, even though I was a fan of the character back when I was a kid, I personally have never felt like, you know what we need? You know what could be really good? Another Garfield movie. I'm just saying, I'm just telling you those, that phrase, those words have never personally come out of my pie hole. Those are not words I've ever spoken until today's show. You know what I think would be really good? Another Garfield movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we need. No, don't do another Man of Steel 2 with uh, Henry Cavill. No, 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 no. Put that on the back burner. You know what we really need? And I understand this isn't Warner Brothers. I, I get that. I'm just saying, you know what we really have to have? What I think the people want. The people want a lasagna loving feline. That's what the people want. I, I've just never said those words. I'll tell you what else. I've never heard those words. And I don't know if any of the rest of you guys have ever felt like, you know what I really could go for? Another Garfield. Have any of you guys ever? done that i i haven't have you ever heard anybody say that i haven't so part one of this is why why are they doing another garfield movie that i don't get okay so let's move on from that and let's do the second part of this is okay so if you're gonna do it they get chris pratt to do it well listen I again scratch my head at the selection of Chris Pratt, just like I did for the Mario Brothers movie. But here's the thing. Chris Pratt right now has appeared, um, maybe there are others, but in two, you know, high profile animated films with the Lego movie and onward. And I'll tell you what, and granted, I've already disclosed, I'm already, I'm a big fan of Chris Pratt. So take that into consideration. But I haven't heard anybody say they didn't think he didn't do a fabulous job with the Lego movie being the special in the Lego movie. He did great in that. And Onward is one of these movies that was really unfortunate 
that it got released right around when the pandemic was starting, right? And it, a lot got distracted by it. A lot of attention was distracted away from it. But I'll tell you what, Onward, I thought was a wonderful movie. Onward is wonderful. Chris Pratt, Tom Holland is the voices of the two brothers. I thought it had real heartfelt emotion. My wife was crying a lot through the movie. I thought it was charming and funny. And yes, the Dungeons and Dragons guy, the fact that the whole movie is kind of one big Dungeons and Dragons allegory, that also appealed to me too. But I thought it was really charming. And Pratt, as the voice of the bigger brother, was great. And so while I was as shocked as anybody to hear that he was going to be the voice of Mario, as I reflected back on the fact that, well, I thought it was an odd choice for him to be in Lego Movie, and that worked great. I thought it was an odd choice for him to do a voice in something like Onward, and that worked great. He has proven to me that he's pretty darn good when it comes to doing the animated voices. So, I, I mean, I don't know. Uh, listen, I admit, I'm with a lot of everybody else online. Like, a lot of people online are like, wait a minute, Chris Pratt is Garfield? Hey, look, I fully admit that at first I was kind of thinking the same way, but the more I think about it, he's showing that he's actually quite versed and doing really well with the animated stuff. So, again, I don't question Pratt being chosen to do the voice of Garfield. I think that can work just fine. I do question the decision to even do a Garfield movie. I, I don't personally know anybody that's excited about this news, but who knows? Maybe it'll grow on me. What, maybe once we hear the idea, right? Maybe there's a billion-dollar idea in here that's going to make this really fun and maybe everybody will love it. Who knows? But for right now, I got to admit, I'm kind of skeptical. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this news that Chris Pratt, number one, that they're going to be doing a Garfield movie, but number two, that Chris Pratt, is going to be the voice of Garfield, taking over the reins, if you will, from Bill Murray. I I just, the whole thing feels weird to me. Maybe you think it's fantastic. Maybe you think it's terrible. Whatever you guys are thinking, jump down into the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. Okay, guys. With that down, let's now move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by... Alexander Sachi, hope I'm pronouncing that right. And Alexander writes, greetings, John and esteemed guest. No guest today. Um, woke up this morning to find a glorious new Morbius trailer had arrived. I'm honestly pretty lukewarm on Jared Leto. I didn't like him as Joker like you did. Yeah, I really did like him as Joker, but I know a lot of you guys did and that's cool. So I didn't like him as Joker like you did, but I'll stand up and admit I love this trailer. Not just because it has a ton of Spider-Man and Venom references, but even if none of that was in the trailer, I would still be dying to see this movie. What did you think of it? All right, thanks a lot for saying that in, Alexander. And yes, uh, look, you guys know I've been actually pretty bullish on the new Morbius. The first trailer came out over a year ago now. And this is how long ago the first Morbius trailer came out. All right, this is how long ago the first Morbius trailer came out. The Morbius trailer is featured in my documentary, Cheap Plug, but the Morbi the first Morbius trailer is featured in my documentary, Movie Trailers, A Love Story. And that came out in January. Prior to that three months of editing, prior to that actually making it, that's how long ago the first Morbius trailer came out, all right? 
And I really like the first Morbius trailer. I think it caught a lot of people very pleasantly surprised. I think people, I think there was a lot of skepticism going into the first Morbius trailer. I thought a lot of people didn't really know because still, even though I like him as Joker, a lot of people did and they didn't know what to think about it. And I think a lot of people were just, like I said, pleasantly surprised when they saw the first one. But that's over a year ago. So we've been waiting for this next one. And I think this new trailer looks fantastic. This new trailer is is absolutely fantastic. First of all, let's just talk, let me talk about the visuals in this. The visuals I don't know who the art director and who the visual effects supervisor is on this particular movie, but their choice of how to visually manifest certain power sets that he uses, the physical transformations, all that kind of stuff. I was watching this as somebody who used to work in the visual effects industry. And I was watching this trailer. I'm like, oh my God, that's that's really number one, creative. And two, executed beautifully. Like it just looks awesome. I also love the tone of it. Um, there's There's a visceralness to it at the same time. And as they mentioned, a whole bunch of Spider-Man and Venom references. We'll talk about that in a second. This comes to us from the folks over at Nerdist who write, this latest trailer focuses on the transformations of its titular star who becomes a vampire after seeking out a life-saving cure for himself and others. What's less clear from Morbius, though, is what kind of tone the film is going for. It seems infinitely more serious than Tom Hardy's Venom movies, but there are still enough silly gags and visuals to give us hope that the movie won't take itself too seriously. The more important element of this promo, though, is how it builds on the first trailer's connections to the larger Spider-Verse. Michael Keaton's vultures show up. There are tons of nods to Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies. And Morbius himself makes a joke about Venom as the world is clearly learning more about the killer symbiote. So here's the thing. I love this trailer. Love this trailer. I think it's fantastic. I think it's wonderful. All this kind of stuff. But let's talk about that interesting part in there. Because when the first trailer came out, a lot of people were like, oh my God, there's that Spider-Man image on the wall. And oh my God, Michael Keaton. So this trailer came in and doubled down on that. I want to pull up an image a number of people sent to me this morning that's been floating around on Twitter. But there is literally reference to all the Spider-Verse stuff at Sony so far. Obviously, in the top. This was from the first trailer, but it's also in the second trailer. You get a reference to the to the Sam Raimi Spider-Man. The exact pose and exact costume from the original Sam Raimi Spider-Man. So there's a quick reference to the Sam Raimi Spider-Man. Then you get the Oscorp Tower. That is a reference to the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. Then you get Michael Keaton, which is a direct connection to the Tom Holland Spider-Man. And then, of course, you get the Daily Bugle and the direct Venom reference that he made that he made, uh, saying, I'm Venom. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love, by the way, I love that line. I thought that was great. So we both get the same Daily Bugle, same paper layout and everything. And by the way, in the small print, in the small print up here at the top of the Daily Bugle, you can't see it from this image, but in the small print here and here, there's references to Rhino and Black Cat. 
uh, in these uh, newspaper references here. So I think there's a couple of interesting things here. Interesting thing number one, the obvious thing. They're referencing all the previous Sony Spider-Man stuff. All that. But John, Tom Holland's an MCU. He's MCU, but it is still a Sony film. It's still Sony distributed. So remember that. This is a reference to all the, the Sony Spider stuff. Interesting thing number two. Other than the reference to Tom Holland, there's no extended reference at anything MCU related. Hmm. Like, it's interesting, again, going back to this picture in the bottom left, it would be interesting if on this, if one of the little minor headlines at the top, because there's three of them up here, if one of them was like, um, anniversary of Tony Stark's passing, or um, can anyone replace Steve Rogers? Or even like some sort of vague reference maybe to the events in WandaVision, like, small town coming out of citywide hypnosis. Like if there, if there was some sort of thing that was referencing the MCU, I'll tell you what that tells me. The fact that all these references are Spider-Man only. And the fact that there's nothing in there other than Spider-Man that has any sort of reference to the MCU as a whole. I'm just going to go down on it again. This to me tells me that No Way Home is setting up the exit of Spider-Man out of the MCU and back over to Sony. Sony is already, we, we bring this up again, Sony is already hyping up and laying the groundwork for a look at our Spider-Verse. Look at it. That, that's Look, just look at it. That's what this is doing. This is Sony saying, hey world, look at our Spider-Verse. Isn't it pretty? Isn't it beautiful? Look at our Spider-Verse. Now, again, you guys know that I've said for a long time, I believe, I've said for years now that I believe that this Spider-Man film is going to be the ushering out of Spider-Man out of the MCU. But I have also lately started to believe that we are still going to periodically see Spider-Man pop up in the MCU because Kevin Feige said two years ago that interesting quote don't forget, Spider-Man is the only superhero who can travel between cinematic universes. So what that says to me is, yes, they're prepping for Spider-Man's exit out of the MCU, but you're probably still going to see him pop up once in a while in the MCU as well. And probably see some MCU characters pop up in a Sony-verse. It's probably going to be part of the trade-off. Again, I'm speculating, I'm guessing, but there you have it. I think there's a lot of anecdotal evidence there to point to that. But to me, this trailer is an explanation point on it. I th again, I think this whole trailer, with all these examples, all these references, this is Sony saying, behold our Spider-Verse. Maybe yes, maybe no. But I think it's great. If, if this wasn't happening, I think it's going to be great. I'm excited for it. But aside from all the Spider-Man references, the trailer in and of itself, just the trailer on its own. I think it looks fantastic. Even if you had none of those Spider-Man references, even if you didn't have the Venom connection, even if Sony had told us this Morbius movie that's happening is kind of like the Robert Pattinson Batman movie. It's totally separate. 
It's its own thing. It is not connected to the Spider-Verse. It is not connected to anything else. It's its own movie. I'll tell you what, I will still think that this was a dynamite trailer. It gives us great insight into the character, his um, his affliction, what his motivations are, what drove him to seek, seeking out this thing that turned him into what he is, the struggles that he has, has controlling what it is that he is. I, I just think it looks pretty awesome. I think it looks pretty awesome. Again, visually looked at him, they absolutely nailed the look of him. Now look, a lot of this trailer too, I've heard of some people mention this and I agree. A lot of this trailer and elements from this trailer, we did see in the first trailer. That's not unusual. A lot of times a second trailer repeats a lot of the footage from the first trailer and then adds some new dimension. I would almost even call this trailer the second version of, Rather than trailer two, I would almost say this is the second version of the previous trailer we got that just filled in a lot more gaps and a lot more space. We got to see a little bit of more Michael Keaton in there as well. Again, the direct obvious references, the visuals look great. I'm telling you what, I know not everybody's excited about this movie, guys. I am. I am, com I am completely got my blood pumping for this one. Blood, <laughs> no pun intended, but I am. I'm excited for this. Question is for you guys. What do you think? about the new trailer for Morbius. Maybe you love it as much as me. Maybe you thought it was meh. I, I don't know. Whatever you guys are thinking about it, though, jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With all that down and out of the way, let's now move on and start taking your live comments and questions, shall we? And once again, simply go down, use the tip link in the description below to send fire in a live comment or question, and we'll either get it read on the show or in a companion video coming up. All right, that down, let's get into it here. We're going to start things off here with Cad Bane, who writes, The Mandalorian had Luke show up. Would you like or be okay if Han Solo showed, showed up in Book of Boba Fett or if I showed up, Cad Bane? Um, that's a good question. Would I be okay with it? I suppose it would depend on how they were used. Like, that one episode of The Mandalorian when they first go to Tatooine, that was terrible. The whole, first of all, the whole, it might probably was the worst episode of Mandalorian so far. And all they used Tatooine was, look, everybody, remember this cantina? This is the same cantina Luke went in. Ooh, isn't that exciting? Like, it was just there for the sake of being there. Ooh, look, everybody, recognize this spaceport? The Millennium Falcon was here once. Like, it was just, whatever. But if they integrate him in, like the way they integrated in Ahsoka Tano, Right in the second season. I don't even like the Ahsoka Tano character. I do now, but I didn't even like the Ahsoka Tano character. But they didn't just say, oh, I'm walking around here. Hey, who are you, stranger? I'm Ahsoka Tano. Hi. And then run off. Like, that's kind of how they handled the Tatooine episode, but they didn't. They, ha they had the character there, but they made the character an integral part of the story. And if they want to bring in a Han Solo or a Cad Bane, um, that's fine. Just don't use them as, hi, everybody, remember me? My name's Han Solo. Okay, bye. Like, as long as they don't do that, as long as there's a purpose for them being there, I would be totally cool with it. I'd be totally cool with it. All right, next up, we've got uh, an anonymous viewer writes, hey, John, not sure if you saw the reviews, but did you hear that Anakin Skywalker uh, apparently gave Dune, oh, listen, I, I don't even have to finish reading it. I know where this is going, right? I've seen a thousand of these. I get it. Anakin Skywalker and Sand, right? Let's see if I'm right. Uh, did you hear that Anakin Skywalker apparently gave Dune a 0 out of 10 ratings when press for comedy stated, I hate sand? Yes. Yes, Anonymous. We've seen that joke about a million times 
on Twitter for months. All right. Uh, next up, Anonymous also writes, hey, John, hope all is well. All is well. Thank you. So in reference to the book of Boba Fett, uh, Jennifer Beals is a stunner at any age and as any species makes sense. Yeah, you know what? When I first saw the trailer, I didn't realize that Twilight was Jennifer Beals. Now, you guys, some of you may be old enough to remember. Some of you guys watching are older than me. Some of you might not be old enough to remember. But, I mean, Jennifer Beals, when Flashdance came out, like kids my age are like, oh, remember that poster for Flashdance? That's, I mean, that was the, to me, that was like the sexiest movie poster ever. As she's sitting there pulling the sweater down. It's like, that was like the sexiest movie poster I saw as a kid. Now, I've seen many more sexy since then, but at that time. But, you know, her career, she continued to do stuff. She continued to do a lot of stuff. Besides Flashdance, she was, like, on and produced the, the, the huge hit series, the L Word stuff. She did all the L Word. Um, she was even in Swamp Thing. She's, she has kept herself busy and kept herself relevant and doing a lot of stuff, but she's actually done a lot of that very quietly. And she's done a lot of it very quietly. So, and I didn't even realize it was somebody else. It was a buddy of mine that pointed out. Did you notice that uh, Twilight was Jennifer Beals? Didn't even know. Didn't even know. Had no idea. Had no idea, but it was really cool to see you there. All right, next up. Uh, Jack Lumbers writes, Fair enough, John, but would you be okay if DC gave Peacemaker the amulet of, Ka oh, I remember this, of Ka -fa 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 -ha 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 -ha, or something of that nature so they can fight? So this is a follow-up to a question that came in last week where somebody asked, hey, wouldn't it be cool to see John Cena's Peacemaker fighting Dwayne The Rock Johnson's Black Adam? And I said, well, you know, that wouldn't really be much of a fight. I mean, you could do the whole cop-out thing that a lot of these uh, like video games do and say, because, you know, in, in, in Justice Gods Among Us, how could Harley Quinn possibly fight Superman? So they came up with a thing. Uh, Batman technology, it, Wayne Enterprises came up with some kind of pill. I think it was Wayne Enterprises came up with it. Came up with a pill that basically gives you the strength and power of Superman. So in Injustice Gods Among Us, you can have in the video game Harley Quinn fighting Superman, even though that's ridiculous. So I said, I mean... If you wanted to have Black Adam fight Peacemaker, I don't know, you could create some kind of MacGuffin. You can create some kind of plot device where Peacemaker comes across, I don't know, the amulet of Kafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafafaf
advantage. There's no reason. All it does is it presents an unnecessary risk. Now, there are risks you take because they're necessary, but then there are unnecessary risks that you shouldn't take because you don't need to take them. You can achieve the effect without having live guns. There's no argument to be made for them, in my opinion. There's just no argument to be made for them, but that's just me. All right, next up. Oh, uh, somebody's saying in the live chat, airsoft guns. Uh, Holland loves saying airsoft guns. That's what they're called. And they've been used for years and they've been used effectively and nobody knows the difference. So that's again, that's just kind of my take on it. Take that as you will. All right. And next up, Stubble McShave writes, HBO Max just launched here in Sweden. Very cool. I'm glad it's finally starting to get out there. And is trying to get subscribers. They have a 50% off lifetime offer through November to get new subs. I signed up for a price of less than $5 a month. That is crazy. How does this lower price impact the apparent revenue numbers for HBO Max? Well, I mean, they're just going to be, um, it's just going to be the revenue for what it is. It's not going to affect any of their, their other numbers. It's not going to affect anything else. It just won't be as high as if they got all those subscribers with it. But then again, if they're trying to get people introduced, they're fearing that their regular price may not attract the viewer. So in the long term, I don't really think it's going to affect their overall numbers. At least that's my guess. Let's keep an eye on it, though, Stubble. Next up, uh, Alan Ling writes, Hey, John, thank you for answering my question about Disney Plus in your recent companion video. Well, thank you for sending in the question, Alan. Um, It was my first time sending in a comment, and it was cool seeing you give your input. I have another question I'd like to ask. I know you've seen Ghostbusters Afterlife at CinemaCon. I really enjoyed it. I want to know, should I see Ghostbusters 1 and 2 before seeing this movie? I've seen the first one a while ago. I'm wondering what would be better, to rewatch the first and second movie or go in with a fresh mind? All right, that's a good question because a lot of times when a movie like Dune comes out, people say, hey, do I need to go back and watch the original Dune movie or blah, blah. I would say this. I think... You should absolutely go back and watch the first Ghostbusters movie for two reasons. One, because the first Ghostbusters is awesome. You you need to have that. If you're a film fan, Ghostbusters is a movie you've got to have in your repertoire. Okay, so treat yourself and watch the original Ghostbusters. Um, Aside from that, you also have to... um, you have to have some ground understanding of the Ghostbusters universe because unlike some other movies that they can do like a a, a far in the future sequel that doesn't really, you don't need to see the original to get what's going on. I kind of feel watching this new Ghostbusters that your overall understanding of the movie and your overall enjoyment of the movie will be much enhanced if you've at least seen the first one. Now, I will say this. I don't think there's any need to see the second film. I don't think there is any need to see the second film. I mean, it would be a little bit helpful, but not nearly as helpful as just watching the first. So if you're a little bit time-constrained, go back and watch the first Ghostbusters movie. I don't think it's an absolute prerequisite to watch Ghostbusters Afterlife, but I think it will enhance your enjoyment of Ghostbusters Afterlife a lot if you go back and watch the first film. So that's my take on it. All right, thanks for writing this, that in, man. All right, next up. Um, Aaron T. Gregory writes, Do you watch Yellowstone? Yes, I do. Uh, looking forward to season four this weekend. Been a fan since I've seen you on Jedi Council. Yeah, I started watching Yellowstone after the last season ended. 
because I heard from enough people, you should really check out Yellowstone. You should really check out Yellowstone. And I had kind of finished off one or two of the shows that I was watching. I was like, you know what? I'll give, I really like Kevin Costner. So let's give Yellowstone a, a shot. I got through all the seasons in like, what, a week, two weeks? I can't remember exactly. I got through all the seasons really fast. I really love that show. I think Yellowstone is great. And I am personally really excited for it to come back. Very excited for it to come back. All right, next up. Uh, Christian writes, Hey, John, how often is a movie director paid more than the highest paid actor in the film? I honestly don't know. Uh, I mean, one of the things that I am not privy to is what are the director's salaries? Now, there are some directors, very few, but like, say, Christopher Nolan, who he will get, he gets sick money. Christopher Nolan gets sick money. So he will probably, on the regular, get a bigger paycheck than any of the stars in his movies. But I think that's pretty rare. I think it's a lot like professional sports. Me and my buddy Ryan were talking about this yesterday. That, you know, it must be hard for... Because the NFL coach hardly ever makes more money than his, than particularly his best players do. So it's like, it must be hard trying to give orders to a bunch of guys who know they make more money than you do. It must be challenging sometimes, but I think that's probably the case a lot on a lot of movies that maybe that have a bigger star in it, that probably the bigger star gets the bigger payday than the director, but it, it may happen more often than not. But then again, like I said, it's we don't often talk about director's salaries because that's not often in the news. Christopher Nolan gets the kind of money he gets, that's in the news. But other than that, it's hard to say. It's a good question, though. All right, next up, uh, we've got... Um, where are we at here? Was that? Yeah, that was okay. So we're at Lawrence who writes, what's your professor X in Spider-Man no way home theory. No need to wait for a later time. Nope. I'm, I've already said I'm waiting. I'm going to do that in its own video, I think. So for those of you who don't know what Lawrence is talking about yet yeah, on yesterday's show, I mentioned that I, I would have never thought this before. I never would have thought this before, but I am actually now believing that we're going to see no, no, no. Let me rephrase. Believing is too strong of a word. I am now suspecting that we are going to see Patrick Stewart as Professor Charles Xavier in Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, I am starting to suspect that and as, as a fan theory. So I will discuss... All of my reasoning and the dots I'm connecting uh, and the construction of my tinfoil hat, I will discuss all of that soon in an upcoming uh, standalone video. So I'll just I'll just leave that at that for now. But there we go. Uh, OK, let's see. Next up, we've got an anonymous who writes, John, I worked at AMC until they closed my theater, laying us off right after remodeling here in Omaha. So sorry to hear that, man. I go to the Marcus Theater now. Fuck AMC CEO. I agree. Uh, though I wish I could see Dune in Dolby. I've seen it eight times. Tying Man of Steel, my favorite DC film. I've only seen Dune in theaters twice. Watched it at home once. I'm definitely, Ann and I are going to go back. I think we're going to go, even though Dolby is my favorite movie theater experience. I think we're going to go to an IMAX again for our second time viewing it. Um, I don't think I'll see it eight times in theaters, but I love this movie and I can't wait to watch it on screen again. And so sorry to hear that's a raw deal you got, man, with the AMC stuff there. Really, really sorry to hear about that. And uh, that sucks. All right, next up. 
Um, sorry, Heather Whitehop in the live chat is saying, John, stop teasing the Professor X thing. I, I, I'm not teasing it. He asked the question, Heather. What am I supposed to do? He asked. So I'm not trying to tease it. He's just, he asked. There we go. All right. Uh, next up, we've got uh, Cryo who writes, rats are the, oh, said in um, your best Taika Waititi voice, rats are the lowliest and most despised of all creatures, my love. If they have purpose, so do we all. Uh, one of my favorite scenes of this year and was in Suicide Squad. Great moment in that movie. Do you think there are parallels between that scene and the themes of suicidal depression and loneliness? Well, I mean, to a degree, obviously, because, you know, the whole idea of Ratcatcher 1, as Ratcatcher 2 tells the story, was that her father struggled with his demons and he struggled with his burden. Is that what she called it in the movie, his burden? I think she, that's what she referred to his drug addiction and whatever other problems he was struggling with. She referred to it as his burden. And it was beautiful and it was touching and it was moving and it was tragic all at the same time. So, yeah, I do think there was obviously some parallels to that. I think a lot of it was also more uh, the sense of self-worth and then the, the things about addiction and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, it, it was a beautiful, beautiful moment in a movie cry. I love that moment. All right. Next up, we've got Dangerous D who writes. Hey, John, have you thought of trademarking Bring on the Filthy? No. Uh, and put it on a T-shirt. Oh, it's on many T-shirts. You can go and search for John Campion merch. It's actually right here in this YouTube channel. You can get YouTube merch right away. Uh, I cert- I would certainly buy one. It's there. You can get a Bring on the Filthy shirt now. Uh, also, good Canadian kid. Uh, you put your face on it would be a seller. Have you ever thought of trade- trademarking before? What other phrases you said that would be a good T-shirt? Um, no, I wouldn't trademark because filthy is a common word. Bring on, I don't think I could trademark it. It's too, it's just all utilizing too many standard phrases. So I'm not even sure that I could. See, you can even get a, a John Campia Show mug. Go get yourself a John Campia Show mug today. And it's not going to focus on it. I don't know why this, there you go. John Campia Show mug. Go get it today. Um, by the way, Michael Lagrange sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate that. But now nah, I would never trademark anything. I don't think I, unless I came up with something very, very specific, but like bring on the filthy, I, I don't think I would trademark that. But everybody recognizes that it's something I say, so I don't worry about it. Uh, by the way, Savage McFilthy also sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Savage. Okay, next up, uh, we go to uh, Cletus McGinnis. Love that username. Writes, in your opinion, what attribute slash characteristics make for a great villain? Thanks and bring on the filthy. Well, first of all, don't be looking for a formula. There's no formula that makes a great villain, but certain things, listen, because different, there have been many, many villains in cinematic history that have just been, I'm evil, and they've been fantastic. I mean, even let's just look at Star Wars, right? The Emperor, Sheev Palpatine, is like, the model of a stereotypical old school evil for the sake of evil. I'm the emperor and I am evil. Good. Like he's just bad, but that's awesome. He is an awesome villain. He's compelling when he's on screen. He has that effect on the audience. He's incredible. At the same time, you can have villains like a Thanos or one of my favorite villains in movies of the past 20 years was Chiwetel Ejiofor's The Operative in Serenity, 
where you have villains who truly like like a Thanos who truly believe what they're doing is right. That's a scary thing. Like a villain who not only is evil, but they are propelled by their convictions that they are right. That makes for a scary villain. In some other villains, you want to feel empathy, right? Like there's some really great on-screen villains that have gone through like tragedy that led them to being that. And then we as an audience feel empathy for the villain, even though they're doing horrible things. And that can lead to fantastic villains. The moral of the story is this. There are several recipes with different ingredients of what can make a great villain. But there is no one right recipe. You can have a one-dimensional villainous villain, and it can be awesome if done right. You can have a, a, a villain you feel empathy towards, and that can be done right. You can have a villain who sees himself as the hero, and that can be done right. It's just, there's a magic X factor to it. That can't be found in any formula. That cannot be found in any formula. So it's a great question, but uh, that's kind of mine as well. All right, next up. We go to Sam Fisher who writes, one of two. I will say one thing I love about Twitter is getting to interact with creators. I asked Neil Gaiman if he was credited in the Eternals because he did that Eternals reboot in 2006 and he would be credited if they used an element uh, from his run. His response which I thought was funny, was, I don't know if I'm in the special thanks slot. I haven't seen it. I was invited to the premiere but couldn't go as I'm in Scotland uh, show running Netflix's Sandman. Yeah, I mean, um, there are a lot. One of the greatest things about Twitter and social media is absolutely the fact that you can directly engage your favorite celebrity. And every once in a while, they might even engage back which is, you know, a totally cool thing that could never been done before the advent of social media. Like the only way that could ever happen before was fan letters. You would literally sit down and let me pick up. This isn't a piece of paper, but it's a mouse pad, but still get a pen and start writing. Dear Kevin Feige, I love your foot. Can we see the foot of Feige? By the way, if I was going to trademark anything, I would trademark foot, foot of Feige. Behold the foot of Feige. That is what I would trademark. Behold the foot of Feige. But anyway, can I see your foot? It makes my wiener tingle or something stupid like that, right? And then, so back in the day, you, you, you'd write a fan letter. And then we've all seen these old movies where somebody becomes a star and all of a sudden the, the, the mailman brings in a big bag of fan letters and drops it on the thing. And, they, and then maybe every once in a blue moon, they would write back a letter or they would get a secretary or something to respond to your thing. And that was it. That was the only way you could actually, that you and I, as mere mortals, uh, could like try to directly engage and be engaged with those things. That's the great thing about social media and Twitter. Now, of course... For every one good thing about that, there's like 50 bad things. Careers have been ended over Twitter. So, yeah. It's, uh, I still think it's not, I, I still think celebrities should stay off Twitter. I really do. Or, I believe this, celebrities should hire a college kid to be their social media manager. So, and if I had the money to do this, I would. And I think about doing it. And I'm a nobody. But I think about like, I would put like some kind of thing app on my phone 
where if I write a tweet and hit post, it doesn't actually post. It would go to another person who would review it first and say, hey, John, uh, yes, Billy, in this scenario, I'm imagining that my intern's name is Billy. Uh, yeah, I was just looking at the draft of that tweet you wanted to put out. Yes, Billy. What what about that? Yeah, you say in the, in the tweet that you think all kittens should be thrown into wood chippers. Uh, yes, what about it, Billy? I think that's a uh, big conversation starter on Twitter. I think it'll get the people talking. I think it'll create some great online engagement. Yeah, John, I, I just, you listen, you're the boss and everything, but I have a feeling if you put out a tweet that says... Uh, dear everybody, go find kittens and throw them into wood chippers. I think that can get you in trouble online. Really? I hadn't thought about that because that's the thing. Like a bunch of these celebrities and athletes and things like that have like tweeted out the most insanely stupid stuff that if only they had a cheap intern to review their stuff and to go back to them and say, Hey, just want to bring up this one post. Uh, what, what post are you talking about? You know, the post where you compared women to cattle. That might be viewed negatively and is, quite frankly, a pretty stupid thing to say. And it could get you in trouble. And maybe you should do some self-examination <laughs> about your life. But anyway, um, I just think these guys should probably hire an intern. But yeah, but yeah there is some, there's some good stuff about Twitter too, for sure. And that is one of them, Sam. It absolutely is. Uh, okay, next up. Anton Riley writes, um, so I watched last night in Soho, I, and I'm, I'm dying to see this movie. Uh, and it's now my favorite movie I've seen in theaters. You know, we did a companion video last night. And we got like five or six people writing in saying, I went and saw, I think every single person who saw Last Night in Soho wrote into the show because the movie only made $4.1 in its opening weekend, which sucks because Edgar Wright's amazing. But at any rate, uh, I watched Last Night in Soho and it's now my favorite movie I've seen in theaters. I loved how Edgar Wright mixed horror, mystery, and thriller so seamlessly. And the twist ending really had me as well. Should have saw it coming, but I didn't. Yeah, I've been hearing from a lot of people that this movie is dynamite. I cannot wait to go see it. I meant to go see it this weekend. Some things came up. I couldn't go see the two movies I wanted to see. <clears throat> but, and I would go see it today, except I'm going to go see Eternals again today. So probably tomorrow when Anne gets back, because Anne's been on a trip up to Cupertino to the Apple spaceship. Uh, but once she gets back, I think we're probably going to go. There, there's a couple of movies we both want to watch together. So we'll, we'll get on that once Anne gets back. Like, I still haven't seen Antlers, and I'm dying to see that, but Anne wants to see it too. Uh, I still haven't seen the French Dispatch, but that's one I got to wait for till Anne gets back. And last night in Soho is another one I got to wait till Anne gets back. So there we go. All right, next up, Anton Riley writes. Um, Thanks to you, I started drinking Zevia, and well, uh, and well, it's a tasty, healthier option than my usual soda. I get rainbow packs online, and my favorite kinds are orange, ginger ale, and ginger root beer. Zevia, sponsor this man, you cheap, insufferable sons of bitches. Yeah. Um, I drink a lot of Zevia. That's what I drink when I'm on the show. Most of the time, sometimes I'm drinking something else, but 90% of the time I'm drinking Zevia. And uh, I'm glad you're enjoying it, man. And yes, Zevia, sponsor me, you insufferably cheap sons of bitches. All right, next up. Thanks for that, Anton. Next up, we've got Jack Lumbers who writes, one of two. 
Financially speaking, I don't think a live-action Pokemon series is going to work for Netflix. One, Netflix already has the rights to air new episodes of the long-running animated series, so they already have a portion of the audience. Two, it's either going to be really expensive, so Netflix will cancel it due to low return on investment, or it's going to be really cheap, which I would not be in favor of watching. Well, you never know. Listen, just because something is done cheaply does not automatically equal bad. I mean, it's better when you put more resources towards something, sure, but just because it doesn't have a lot of resources given to it doesn't mean it's automatically going to be bad. And I think they are going to put a lot of resources into it. Like, I don't think it's going to be like the upcoming Amazon Lord of the Rings series budget. I don't think it's going to have that kind of budget, but I think they're going to put a good amount of money into it. And listen, the reality is this. No show lasts very long on Netflix. I mean, that's just the reality. Because the longer a show goes, the more expensive it starts to be. And here's the Look, I've explained this before and people hate this, but this is the truth. The reason why streaming is going to kill a lot of great stuff and why I'm not really looking forward to the streaming era is Netflix is a great example of this. Streaming services make content to gain new subscribers. That's why they make their content. And the reason you're not going to see Stranger Things season six, seven, or eight is because everybody who's going to sign up to Netflix to watch Stranger Things has pretty much already done it now. Now it's just costing them money. Now it's just having making more seasons of Stranger Things. And I'm just using Stranger Things as an example. I'm not saying Stranger Things is the end-all be-all. I'm just using it as an example. Netflix is going to go, okay, we've got our benefit from Stranger Things. We benefited what we were going to benefit out of it. We got the people subscribed to it. Anybody at this point who is going to watch for Stranger Things has already signed up to Netflix. So now there's no point in us spending more money. Let's now take that money. Let's cancel that show and move on to something else that will attract in new subscribers since the we already got the Stranger Things subscribers. It's kind of one of the reasons why they stopped making Daredevil. The show's amazing. But they already knew any MCU fans are going to show who are going to subscribe to Netflix for our MCU shows, they've already now already signed up. Now we don't have to make those shows anymore. Let's spend our money elsewhere or save that money or whatever. Because studies have proved that people don't unsubscribe to stuff. Obviously, some of us do from time to time. But even you, even if you're like, I unsubscribed to Netflix when they ended Daredevil. Okay, good for you. But I bet you have a gym membership you've still had for three years that you haven't gone to the gym in like ages. I bet you're still signed up to some music subscription service that you haven't actually used in 18 months. I'm sure you probably still signed up to some other kind of service that you've totally forgotten about. That's the thing. These streaming services know this, that once they've got you signed up, Studies have shown the odds are you're not going to unsubscribe unless they have some kind of big, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Controversy. I mean, that's the thing. So they know. So that's the future. They're going to make something that's great. And then once they got you, they're going to stop making that great thing and do something else that might bring in more subscribers because they know the percentages are you are more likely to still stay subscribed. That's the future of streaming, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate, but it's true. All right, next up. 
Uh, Jack Lumbers writes, have you seen CM Punk's e, uh, AEW debut yet? I still have not watched it, to be honest. I caught it again on YouTube, re-watching it, seeing the excitement slash joy of the fans that night, especially the one adult who was actively crying, gave me such a joyous feeling, uh, close to how I was feeling that night. Yeah, so um, here's the thing. For those of you who don't know wrestling very well, CM Punk was phenomenally popular. And then he had a falling out with WWE. He decided to leave wrestling. Tried MMA for a while. Didn't work out so well for him, but I tip my hat for him trying it. So it didn't work out so well for him going to MMA. So he's been out of wrestling forever. And then he returned to wrestling triumphantly at A&W. And apparently the response was great. I still haven't seen myself, but maybe, hopefully I will at some point. Okay, next up. Jack Lumbers writes, besides Terminator, Dark Fates, has the music in a trailer actively ruined your excitement for an upcoming movie? That's a good question. I don't know if I can think of any off the top of my head. Yeah, I... I, I'm sure there has been. Like, I know I've watched trailers and gone, that was a very odd music choice. Oh, oh, I remember one. The trailer for the fantastic movie, uh, Edge of Tomorrow, Live, Die, Repeat, All You Need Is Kill. All You Need Is Kill is what it should have been called, but it was called Edge of Tomorrow. And I remember watching that trailer. It's not as bad as the Terminator one that you just mentioned. Not as bad as uh, Terminator Dark Fate. I'm going hunting. What the hell is this? But with... um. With Edge of Tomorrow, they had this. They tr- first Edge of Tomorrow is just a good badass sci-fi actioneer. That's what it is, and it's awesome, and it's fun, and it's smart, and it should have been advertised as that. Instead, they marketed it like some kind of trippy in a dreamland. And I remember they were just showing these visuals in the trailer, and then they had. Do you remember this music? This is not the end. And you're like, what? What is this? So, yeah, that is one that really that did turn me off. Unfortunately, I'm really glad that I did get around to watching it because the movie's fantastic. But, yeah, that song, that music selection, that trailer really did turn me off. All right. uh, Next up, uh, we go to Angel Garcia, who writes, hey, John, hope all is well. All is well. Thank you. Uh, been a huge fan since the AMC days. Thank you so much for that, Angel. So the other day, somebody asked about Dune and how they didn't feel the stakes were high for Paul in the last scene. On the other hand, you thought everything was on the line. After you said that, I remember how you felt about Spider-Man's dust scene in Infinity War. Would you please explain why you felt differently between the two when you already knew the outcome of Paul's journey, yet it still impacted you? It's a great question, Angel, but the answer is actually really, really simple. This is, when you're talking about Dune, when Dune was written, right, if you don't know the story of Dune, you don't know what's happening. Now, if you somebody who read the book in advance and all that kind of stuff, you know what's going on. But when you first encountered Dune, like as an individual encountering the story, and this is your first encounter with the story, you don't know what's going to happen, right? With Spider-Man Endgame, it was, I mean, so well known that Spider-Man is coming back 
that all the and so that anything that happens at the end of this we knew there was going to be another black panther we knew there was going to be all this kind of stuff so that when they had this big traumatic event like y'all the whole audience just knew okay yeah but that's not permanent that's not permanent Whereas in a story like Dune, when you have all these different characters, for all you know, Paul is going to die. Now, maybe you know a sequel is going to come at some point, but that's only because this is a modern telling of Dune that has been done before. But in the story context, it was fresh to the story reader the first time they read it. It was fresh to them. Wasn't that case with uh, Infinity War when the snap happened. It just wasn't the same case. The thing was, and you knew... The MCU wasn't going to leave it with half the universe destroyed. But when you've got a fight in the desert to the death where anything can happen, maybe this character dies, maybe that character dies, and you just don't know, I think it's a totally different scenario. So that's why, yeah, when I was watching um, Infinity War and I don't want to go, Mr. Stark, happens. Wonderfully portrayed scene, beautifully executed scene, but it didn't hit me emotionally because it's like, as I saw these people die, it's like, well, we know they're all, they all got upcoming movie deals. We all we all know there's another Black Panther. We all know uh, there's another Spider-Man. We all know this. I mean, so, okay, so this is going to be temporary. Something's going to happen to undo this. You don't know that when you're encountering Dune for the first time or any story for that matter, for the first time. So, to me, it creates a real fundamental difference in the st- in the story narrative and how it all unfolds for you as an audience member. That, to me, is the huge difference, but that's why I felt different. But for everybody, the experience will be different, right? Certain things I'm more sensitive to and less sensitive to, you might be more sensitive and less sensitive to other things than I am. So it all depends on the individual experiencing the story. Good question, though. All right, next up. Uh, Silencio Bruno writes, Oh, is that from... Um, uh, the 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 uh, that's from the Pixar film. What was the name? What was the name of the most recent Pixar film about Fish Boy? I'm trying to remember. Uh, Luca, thank you, Fanjecture. Fanjecture, our friend Fanjecture is here, right? In, uh, Luca, that's right. Silencio Bruno. Anyway, apparently the social media embargo for Disney's Encanto will be lifted this Wednesday, November third. Is that when the premiere will be? Hype is through the roof. Um, this sucks. I don't know that that's when the premiere is because normally the premiere happens before. uh, Normally the premiere happens before press screenings. And I was actually supposed to go to an Encanto press screening last night. I was supposed to go to an Encanto press screening last night. I was supposed to get in my car, drive over to Century City, um, the press screening was being held at the AMC Century City in Los Angeles. I was supposed to drive out there for a 7 p.m. screening of Encanto last night. But it's one that Anne wants to watch with me. And again, Anne is out of town right now. She's up at Apple. And so uh, I decided I couldn't go. Decided I could not go. So I'm feeling kind of bummed out of it because I do want to see this movie. I like I, I wasn't really thrilled with the first trailer for Encanto, but the second one I thought was really good. And now I'm I'm really into it. But oh, I wanted to see it yesterday, but I, I couldn't. All right. Next up. Uh, Jose Hernandez writes, I went to the red carpet of the world premiere of Dexter New Blood. I got to meet Michael C. Hall, Jack Alcott and other cast members. And I got to watch the first episode of Dexter, uh, Dexter's New Blood. And I enjoyed it. Yeah, I really love that a lot of TV shows now will have these premiere events. By the way, I'm glad you had a chance to meet Michael C. Hall. Michael C. Hall 
is great. I remember my first, the only time really that I got a chance to meet Michael C. Hall. I had a, um, this is back years ago. What movie, you know, I think it was, it was Gamer. Remember I was just talking about Gamer the other day because somebody wrote in and asked, he's like, hey man, like, like, have you ever had, if you're friends with people in the industry, have you ever like watched a movie that they did and it's terrible and it's awkward afterwards? And I mentioned Mark Neville and Brian Taylor, who I think are just two fantastic guys. I love them as guys. I love them as directors. They're fantastic. I love their crank films. I love what they do, but I wasn't a big fan of Gamer the Gerard Butler uh, film gamer. Now, if I remember correctly, I think Michael C. Hall was the villain in that one. So I think that's where I met him, was on set of uh, of Gamer. But anyway, here's what he does. I had been turned on to Dexter by a friend of mine, up in Canada, by a friend of mine named Serena. And she was the one who turned me on to Dexter. I, I I thought Dexter didn't look too good, so I wasn't watching it when it came out. But sometime into its second or third season, my friend Serena got me onto it and got me hooked on it. And she loved Michael C. Hall. All this kind of stuff. And I mentioned, like, yeah, my friend, oh, you know, my friend Serena's going to love the fact that I got to meet you. He goes, should we give her a call? I'm like, yeah, no. He just goes, should we give her a call? I'm like, would you? He's like, yeah, man. I'm like, okay. He goes, just dial her number and hand me the phone. He's like, I'm all right. So I dial Serena, hand him the phone. He goes, hello, is this Serena? I'm like, and she goes, yeah. Hi, this is Michael C. Hall. And she goes, no, okay, no, seriously. And I grab the phone from him and say, no, okay, this is John. This is really Michael C. Hall you're talking to. I'm on the set right now and I hand him the phone. And she freaked out. That dude didn't need to do that. He didn't have to do that. He just did it because he was super nice. He wanted to give somebody, like, put a smile on somebody's face that day. I thought that was awesome of him. I really did. So I am very, very uh, excited about seeing the new season of Dexter. Very excited about it. Okay, next up. Uh, Sam Fisher writes, Response to Jackster's tip about trailer songs and end, end credit songs. The songs at both ends of Shang-Chi and Black Panther were actually off their respective soundtracks of music curated for the movies. Specifically, they were songs written for the movies. Uh, yeah, but that wasn't that wasn't uh, Jack Steer's problem with it. He wasn't he didn't bring up a problem about why did you just pick a random song to put there? His problem was that it felt out of step with the with the music and the rest of the movie. So he kind of felt like the one movie had this great score going. Why not, when the trailer starts playing, continue to play the score instead of a song, right? That was his issue. Now, I, I already responded to that, and I thought it was uh, I thought it was great. I like those songs at the end, but that was his specific issue, Sam, not just about where did those songs come from. All right, but thanks for responding to that anyway. All right, next up. Um, where are we at here? Uh, Dr. Nova writes, People are bringing up Rotten Tomatoes again, and I don't like Rotten Tomatoes. Never have. It's too simple, and people see it as an objective measurement. It's not an objective measurement. Um, I'm more interested in reading reviews since it will tell me more than a number. Yeah, but again, I still think people don't fundamentally get what Rotten Tomatoes is. And where you should look for the, as a film fan, where you should look for the value in Rotten Tomatoes. You know, I, I I still hear people saying Rotten Tomatoes gave this movie a whatever score. It's like, no, 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 that's not how Rotten Tomatoes works. Rotten Tomatoes doesn't give any movie any scores. All Rotten Tomatoes does is it gathers up all the reviews 
and just tells you this is what percentage of people liked this movie. This is the percentage of people that didn't like the movie out of all the critics and reviews. And you're right. I much prefer a full review. Like, I don't want to just see a number. I want to read what people actually have to say about it. That's why in my movie reviews, I don't give scores. I don't give it an A or five testicles out of six or three buckets of popcorn or whatever. And they're all they're all valid measuring. I'm just saying, I don't give scores because I don't think you can communicate the DNA of a movie and your experience with a movie in a score. That's why when I do a movie review, I just tell people what I thought about it without giving it a score. Without giving it a score. <laughs> Marcus Y in the live chat says, four kittens in the river. I give this movie four kittens in the river. Okay, now that's 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 gonna be uh that's gonna be uh that's gonna get me uh canceled now, just that I said that. Okay, so anyway, um that's why I don't give a score, but that's not what I'm looking for. Like when I, as a film fan, go to Rotten Tomatoes and I look at the scores, I'm not looking for this will tell me everything about this movie. That's not what Rotten Tomatoes is for. And that's not why people like me go to it. I love getting a sense because, you know, I just like getting a sense because all these like two or 300 critics that get their scores posted up there or their reviews posted up there, they are all vastly different people vastly different people who have vastly different backgrounds and vastly different tastes. And I love seeing, okay, in this incredibly diverse group of people of all different ages, of all different tastes and preferences, of all different backgrounds, of all different preferences when it comes to their movies. When I see a movie that has like, a 90%. It's like, wow. Like what that tells me is that this will appeal to a wide group of people. And the chances are, I will probably odds are not guaranteed odds are, I will probably like it because if you get this massively diverse group of people and like all of these people, some of them prefer older movies, some prefer newer movies, some prefer dramas, some prefer comedy, some prefer action, some love comic book movies, some hate comic book movies, blah, blah, blah. If you get a movie then that comes out with that diverse group of people and say 90% of them like this movie, that says something. It doesn't give you an in-depth analysis of a movie. It doesn't talk about the heart of a movie. It's just a number. But understanding what that number represents has a lot of meaning. And what it communicates to me as a film fan that this gives me a pretty good a pretty good gauge as to what are the chances that if I invest my time in watching this movie that I'll enjoy it. It's not 100%. I could go in and watch a movie, and this has happened, where where I find myself counted with the 10% of people who didn't like it. But nine times out of 10, I'll probably end up liking it. So that's where the value is. So I don't really think there's a point in criticizing a system that doesn't do what it was never intended to do. You know what I'm saying? There's no point in criticizing Rotten Tomatoes for not doing certain things when that's not what Rotten Tomatoes is for or what it's meant to be. It is simply telling you, out of this big, diverse group of people who watch movies and talk about movies and they all have different preferences with their movies, this percentage of them enjoyed it. That's it. It's that profound and that simple 
all at once. But I agree. I prefer reading reviews, but that's how I've, I've found some of my favorite film critics through Rotten Tomatoes, like going through and it's like, oh, I want to see what this person has to say about it. And then I like read what they said about it and get more out of that. So, so I both disagree a bit with you, Dr. Nova, and completely agree with you in some ways there too. All right. Thanks for sharing that, man. Next up, Chance writes, why nothing can truly compare to an actual movie theater? What sort of sound system do you utilize for your home viewings? All the best. Yeah, nothing compares to a real movie theater. Nothing. Not your crappy 75-inch TV. I don't care how good you think it is. Not your crappy surround sound system, however good you think it is. I've got both of those, and I love them. They're great for at the house, but it does not come anywhere close to the experience you get in with here. Mine is, and I'm not a tech, I'm not, I don't know a lot about audio technology. I'm a tech head, but you know, that has more to do with cameras and phones and computers and lights. I'm not really an audio tech head, like home sound system audio tech head, but JBL was really kind enough to send me, um, this wonderful five point surround sound thing that I've got that I had somebody come and set up for me in my living room. I don't know anything more about it than that. It's great for a home theater system, but yeah, doesn't compare to, to an actual movie theater in my opinion. All right, next up, BK Dan writes, okay, John, um, let's talk, let's talk critics with all film being so subjective. Let me try this again. Okay, John, let's talk critics period. Uh, with all films being so subjective, how and why do we, as the audience, put so much weight on their take and opinion, especially with it not with it not out to mass audience yet? Uh, the way it hits one would be different from the other from the way it hits another. Yeah, listen, all film is subjective and hits everybody in different ways, and that includes film critics. Absolutely. But it's the same reason why. Like, I'm not a car guy. All right, just so you know, I'm not a car guy. I appreciate cars, but I'm not like a car guy. It's like, hey, what do you got on the hood there? You got a Hemi 67 with a four cents Lugus flash? I don't really know that stuff. I really don't. Not much of a car guy. I, I really admire people who do know a lot about cars, but I don't. But when Ann and I started looking for an electric car, because we wanted our next car that we get, Ann's car is now 12 years old. Like we recently bought me a new car because I was literally driving a 2000 Acura Integra uh, with a lot of miles on it. The thing was almost 20 years old. Um, I needed a new car. So we went out and I got, I love it. I got a Toyota CHR. I love it. It's fantastic. Great. But we decided we wanted our next car to be an electric car. And Anne's car is now, she's got a great Honda Civic, but it's now 12 years old. You can start to feel the age in it as you're driving it. And it's like, okay, as a husband, I would feel better if she was in a newer car right now. Uh, by the way, BK Dan sent in a super chat badge as well. Thank you, BK. As does our friend Russell Amador sends in a super chat badge as well. Thank you, Russell. So I, so we started doing a lot of research and watching a lot of videos and things like that about various electric cars. And what I discovered in watching all these videos is you watch a bunch of these cars, car experts say, ah, this, oh, yeah, man, we really love this Mach-E. We love this Mustang Mach-E. But then we watch some other total world car experts saying, 
We have concerns about Maki. We don't like this about Maki. Whereas the other car experts said they liked that about it. And then we started getting more of that about the Chevy, the Chevy Bolt EUV was another one we were looking at until it got recalled. But we were looking at the Chevy Bolt EUV. One car expert saying, you know, it's got this feature that really is blah, blah, blah. Whereas the next car expert said, you know, this feature it has is really concerning because we don't like that it does this and this. And we started realizing that even amongst cars, while there is consensus in a bunch of things, it'll depend on the taste of the person driving the car. Maybe they like that this car does this, whereas somebody else won't like that the car does that. So does that mean that reviews have no purpose and no meaning? Absolutely not. It's all a part of it. And the key about film critics is finding film critics that really speak to you, right? That's why I loved, um, I really loved uh, Roger Ebert was not because I often agreed with him because 50% of the time I disagreed with Roger Ebert. You know, he'd talk about a movie and I'd watch and say, man, I love this movie that he hated, but whatever. But he was so good. He really spoke to me that about how he experienced movies and all that kind of stuff. So I learned a lot about what I could expect from a movie, depending on what Roger Ebert thought about it. Not that I would agree with them, but I started to be able to understand. And also you found some film critics that I really uh, enjoyed that I found resonated with me as well. Like I usually find that nine times out of 10 when this particular critic, it won't, be a hundred percent, but I usually found that with this critic nine times out of 10, if he likes something, I'll usually end up liking it. And so I listen to that person a little bit as well. Then I like listening to some critics that I almost always disagree with just because I love hearing their perspective and all that kind of stuff. But it's like anything in life. If you're going to make an investment of time and money in anything, if you're going to invest any time and money into something, doesn't it make you a naive consumer to not do a little bit of research and not hear what other people have to say about their experience with that product, whether that product is a new phone, whether that product is a new electric car, or whether that product is a movie that you're going to go and see? A car reviewer loving a car does not 100% guarantee that you will love it, but at least you'll get a lot more information. You'll have a better idea about what to expect and about whether you should pull the trigger on investing your money in that car. Uh, same thing about a phone. Your experience, I, you, may, you may love the iPhone 13 to death. There are certainly things about it that I am enjoying a lot, but there are also some things about it that I way prefer my Android phone. And so, you know, I watched one critic who just said, one tech reviewer is just like all Android, like all Apple. That's it. This is the best thing. This thing blows the Android phones out of the water for blah, 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 blah. Okay, that's great. That gave me some information and that's useful. And it's helpful. But I didn't necessarily agree on all points, but it was still good to know. It just makes you a better consumer because when you go to see some, even something as simple as going to see a movie, you are investing time and you are investing money. And I just think it makes you a better consumer to do a little bit of research with people who have engaged with this product, whether it's a movie or not, to see what they're saying about it first before you make a decision to invest that time and money into it. So yes, I have always seen, and I will always see, absolute value um, in the role of critics and the critics you choose to listen to and choose to engage with. It's not 100% guarantee you'll always agree, but that's not always the point, is it? So that's just kind of my take on it at any rate. All right, next up. 
Uh, we've got Hardcore Curtsy who writes, Holidays are here, and that charity you like that buys Christmas gifts for needy families. Yeah, so just so you know, it's not a charity. What it is is every, almost every city will have a program, will have an Adopt-A-Family program. Just contact your local city government, ask about if they have an Adopt-A-Family program, and then they will match you with a needy family. This is something Ann and I do every year. I only tell you about it because we want to encourage all of you to do it as well. We do this every year. We adopt a family, and it's always a family that's really in rough shape or, or, or is in need. We find out about their family. We connect with them. We find out what their kids need, what they need, and then we just do the best we can to provide them with a good Christmas. You know, we get to go to their homes. We deliver gifts to the kids. Um, I'm not going to start crying. But I mean, when this little five-year-old runs up, like just because you brought them a present, they run up to you and want you to pick them up and you pick them up and they just squeeze the life out of you. I went back to, I'm not going to lie to you. I went back to my car. I cried like a fucking baby. Cried like a fucking baby. But and maybe you're able to meet some of the parents' needs as well and stuff like that. It is a transformative life experience that I just think everybody can do. And it's easy to do, get together with some friends, pool some money, and give a family a little bit of hope. You're not changing the world, but you're changing the world for, at least perception-wise, for one family. You meet some of their needs. You're able to put a smile on their kids' faces. You're able to put a smile on their face. Whatever. It's amazing. I, I encourage everybody to get involved with that and do that. Contact your local government, city government. Ask about an Adopt-A-Family program. If you don't have enough money yourself, get together with a couple of friends, pool some money together, and do what you can do to give a great Christmas to a family that otherwise may not have one. Anyway, let's get back over to it here. Uh, holidays are here and that charity you like that buys christmas gifts for needy families yeah they don't buy it you buy it just just you know um sounds cool so a charity stream i bet an amc movie talk reunion and q a with as many of the old gang you can get together would be awesome tacular smiles for fans presents for kids again no I, i'm not going to do a fundraiser for that because th the whole point is we want you to go and get involved in that don't just send me five bucks and, and get me to do it you do it like, and that's what we'll talk about that more and more as we get closer to Christmas, but that's the whole idea of that. So we want you to get involved, show the world what the fan community can do. And that's the idea of that. But anyway, thanks for the suggestion regardless, man. All right. Next up, uh, Andy Hong writes one of three. Hi, John. Hello, Andy. Uh, you've said that one of the problems with the MCU is that it's becoming overcrowded and that the feeling of the fantastical within the mundane is fading away or gone. Yeah. Uh, would this also apply to the Arrowverse? Oh, my God. I feel very strongly about this. With the Arrowverse, because of whatever reason, the showrunners feel the need to turn every character into a superhero. Even on Supergirl, they made Jimmy Olsen into Guardian out of nowhere. It was so cringy, and it didn't stop there. They also made Olsen's sister into the next Guardian. In the final season of Supergirl, it was pathetically awful. It's a problem that I have that I have with Legends of Tomorrow, and I remember watching Arrow and asking myself, who isn't a superhero at this point? Yeah, listen. Um, yeah, it's absolutely a problem, but... It, I, Here's the thing with the Arrowverse, though. It was the problem with the Arrowverse wasn't even it was the fantastical with the fantastical within the mundane. It wasn't even that, because most of these guys people had no powers. Like Laurel freaking Lance, Laurel freaking Lance, who 
had no business doing anything. A brilliant lawyer, public servant, helped the people. She's a great character on that level, but she had no business being, she literally, in Arrow, wrap your heads around this, and I used to love this show, love, 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 still love Stephen Amell the whole bit, but wrap your heads around this. They had this character, literally, I'm not exaggerating, this is exactly what happened in Arrow, okay? This is exactly what happened in Arrow. Laura Lance went to a local community center and literally took a couple of night boxing classes and decided to put on the buckles and become Canary. She was going to be Canary after that. She was going to fight crime in the streets because she went to a local community center and took a couple of evening boxing classes. She decided she could go and be canary. And then there was this other uh, character, and I cannot, I think they called him Wild Dog or Mad Dog. He wore a hockey goalie mask like he was in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or something. Literally, he's just a guy who just, I I, I think I want to help my community. Cool. You've got guns? Great. We're going to give you a superhero name. Now you're this guy or whatever he was called. Now you're this guy. I can't even remember the guy's name. If any of you guys in the live chat remember who, Wild Dog, Marcus Wise saying his name is Wild Dog. It's like, okay, okay. So it's like, now everybody's a superhero, but there were no superpowers. And as far as secret identities go, I felt like every single episode was, which character is going to find out Oliver's real identity this week? <laughs> because it just felt like every episode, somebody new was finding it. Anyway, yeah, I... That wasn't so much of the fantastical within the mundane because that would imply a lot of superpowers that were no longer, oh, superpowers. I mean, it was just like everybody, no matter, no qualifications whatsoever. No qualifications. Oh man, I really don't like that there's crime in my city. I think I'm going to pick up that stick and be a superhero. I'm stick guy. Stick guy coming to a theater near you. Seven testicles out of eight. I mean, I'm going to be stick guy. Yeah, I mean, the writing on Arrow really let it down. So, uh, yeah, there was that. Okay, let's continue moving on, shall we? Um, next up, where are we at? Uh, so, yeah, I, I relate, Andy, I relate. All right, Andy Hong also writes, One of the reasons I'm looking forward to Eternals is for a scene with Kit Harrington and Richard Madden so I can finally find Constellation and Jon Snow and Rob Stark reuniting after a decade. Last time we saw Jon and Rob together was on screen was 2011. That's, yeah, that, man, it's weird when you think about it in that time frame. That was a long time ago. That was a long, yeah, 2011. Uh, Look, I'm going to do a little spoiler, minor spoiler. Uh, Andy, you're going to get your wish. I think, yeah, you know what? Cause I think it's in the trailer. It is in one of the trailers where you actually see Kit Harrington and Richard Madden on screen together. That is, I remember at the world premiere when that happened, you could feel the energy in the audience going, Oh, we got the Stark family back together again. That was actually kind of a cool moment in the movie. So it's in the trailer. You'll see it in the movie. And I think you'll like that moment. All right. Uh, next up. Andy Hong also writes, Discovery would like to rename HBO Max to Soggy Ass. This is from yesterday's show. From Soggy Ass, which would be on par with Peacock name-wise. Actually, they could use the bad publicity, which is good publicity, to boost subscriptions to their service. Yeah, they absolutely uh, they absolutely need something. 
they they need something because they're still kind of uh, falling behind. They're still kind of falling behind on all that. But yes, no, soggy ass. Listen, somebody was asking earlier, would I trademark anything? I'm trademarking soggy ass. Soggy ass is mine. All right, nobody would. Nobody in the world wants to boast. Soggy ass is mine. Okay, anyway, Potato Cabezo writes, Remember, Kevin Feige still has to answer to Bob Chapek. If he doesn't like what happens with Eternals, uh, he could force Feige to correct course. Theoretically, yes, but he won't get involved. Bob Chapek uh, doesn't care about the, create, the creative in movies. He doesn't care. That's part of the problem. Look, I, I've mentioned this before. I'll say it again. When... I would go to, I mean, I go to Warner Brothers premieres. I go to Paramount premieres. I go to a lot of Disney premieres. Um, But whenever I went to any Disney premiere, any movie premiere that was under the Disney umbrella, Bob Iger was there every time. Big Papa Iger was there every time showing the world he supports his filmmakers. That he supports his staff, he supports his team. And he would always go. Every premiere, Bob Iger would be there. And if for no other reason than symbolically, it spoke volumes to all the filmmakers and all the talent who works with Disney that the very top guy supports what you do. I have been to two Disney premieres in the last couple of months. I was at Shang-Chi. I was at Eternals. Bob Bob Chapek couldn't even be bothered to show up. He couldn't even bother to show up. Not even to symbolically show the world, we support our teams, we support our filmmakers. He never even bothered to show up. Now look, I don't want to say that it's required that the CEO of a company show up to a movie premiere. I'm not trying to suggest that. But it is once again a very big, obvious illustration about the differences between Bob Iger and Bob Chapek. Bob Chapek doesn't care about the creatives. He doesn't care about his filmmakers. He doesn't care. And he doesn't care whatever stuff Kevin Feige makes. He's not going to tell Kevin Feige what to do. And maybe on some level, that's a good thing. But Kevin Feige also has business people now in charge over him. It's not just Bob Chapek. Bob Chapek put his banker buddy in charge of all the creatives. It's it's stupid. It's absolutely stupid. But there, but I, you know, I don't expect him to get involved. Bob Chapek's not going to get involved in the minutiae of do we make a sequel to this movie or not? It's not something Bob Chapek would, would concern himself with, unfortunately. Unfortunately. All right, next up. Anton Riley writes, uh, one more thought I have about last night in Soho. So many people writing in about that. I fell in love with uh, uh, Thomasin McKenzie's character and performance. I hope we get to see her in more stuff soon. She did really good in this movie. Yeah, and I think I kind of fell in love with her in um, Jojo Rabbit, right? Because I'm, I'm not mistaken, right? She is the girl from Jojo Rabbit. Correct me if I'm wrong in the live in the live chat. But... I remember she was just, first of all, if you haven't seen Jojo Rabbit, oh my God, watch Jojo Rabbit. It's it's an absolute triumph. I am a guy who loves Thor Ragnarok. I love Thor Ragnarok. But Jojo Rabbit is Taika Waititi's best movie. That's Taika Waititi's best movie. So... Uh, yeah, make sure you go and see that. And yeah, she was fantastic in that. I cannot wait to see 
Um, I cannot see what she does with her career moving forward. She's got an awesome, bright road ahead of her uh, for sure. All right, next up, we got Christopher Rosado who writes, John, I remember you talked about uh, how it's so annoying that people say the fans when talking about something they want made or something no one asked for. Saw online, someone claimed no one asked for Eternals. What the fans never asked. Huh, please. Yeah, that is that is one thing that drives me crazy about some members of our fan community. And let's admit it, we've all probably done it. I think we've all probably done it. When we say the fans want, you know, stick man the movie. Well, no, what you're really saying is you want stick fans the movie. You don't speak for all the fans. The fans want, I don't know, uh, Ryan Gosling to be the new Benji. I'm just making shit up. Um, No, you want Ryan Gosling to be the new Benji. I love Ryan Gosling, by the way. Good Canadian kid. Don't get me wrong, but... Um, yeah, often whenever you hear people, anyone online saying, well, you know, the fans want this. No, 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 no. Shut up. Just sh- shut up. Shut up. You're, you're making yourself sound stupid. Shut up. You want that. And maybe some of your buddies want that. And maybe some of the some of the circles you travel in online echo that. But you don't speak for the wide base of fans. And I think that's something we all do. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we've all caught ourselves doing that from time to time, probably too. I'm probably guilty of it too, to be honest with you. We've got to try to catch that. All right, Russell Amador writes, um, or Dad Boy 22 in the live chat puts it great. The fans equals my Discord server. At beautifully put, Dad Boy. You're exact, that's exactly kind of it. That's exactly kind of it. All right, uh, next up, Russell Amador writes, Hey, John. Uh, big epic UFC this weekend. Oh my God, the UFC. First of all, Glover Teixeira, man, dude at 43 years old, wins the UFC light heavyweight title. He had a, a light heavyweight title shot seven years ago. He'd lost that fight. People thought his dreams of winning a UFC title were over. He spent the next seven years doing nothing but getting better and stringing together five really impressive wins in a row. And at 43 years old, he got another title shot against Polish power Jan, who I really love him too. And he went in there and won the UFC light heavyweight title at 43 years old. Unbelievable. That whole card last weekend was fantastic. But now we've got a UFC card coming up this weekend. That is nuts. Absolutely nuts. I am so excited about it. Anyway, um, big epic epic UFC this weekend. We got fireworks with Gaethje versus Chandler, the rematch with Rose, the rematch with Usman. I'm expecting nothing less than a great card this week to follow up last week's. Needless to say, can you be can you confirm you'll be tuning in? Oh, hell yes. I'll be watching the UFC this week. That thing is a loaded card. Loaded card. Cannot wait to see Usman get his hand raised as he knocks that fool out again. I cannot wait to see Gaethje versus Chandler. That's going to be fireworks. These are two guys who love to throw down. That's going to end in a knock. I mean, it's going to be great, Russell. It's going to be great. All right, next up. Uh, we've got an anonymous who writes, Ugh. Eternals now has the same Rotten Tomato score as Wonder Woman 84. Yeah, again, we've talked about that a lot. I'm going to go see it again. Very, I'm dying to see what the fan, what the audience score in this movie is going to be. I said it last night. I'll say it again. 
I'm not going to be surprised if Eternals has a 90% audience rating. I will not be surprised if it gets a 90% audience rating. I will also not be surprised if it gets a 60% audience rating. I guess that's simply, I just don't know. Because it's so different, I've said this from the first time I saw the movie, I don't know how average MCU movie fans are going to react to it. It could be huge. It could be terrible. I mean, I just don't know. All right. Uh, Ryan Lona writes, Boy, Tesla must have really loved that product placement uh, they got in Apple TV's Invasion. Look at all the features this car has. Before the family can barely get it started and steal another car uh, the first chance they get. Yes, but I think that had something to do, I at least, and I've, I've given up on Invasion. I've watched the first three episodes. I've given up on it now. But I think that scene had something to do with like an EMP or something that it was because the Toyota was an electric car that it got affected or that the dad didn't know how to start it properly. Then the mom got it started and then they had to abandon their car because they couldn't get it charged because other people were using the charging stations. Anyway, so yeah, I don't think it was all that bad. All right, the the Super Korean writes, uh, hey, John, I hope you're having a great day. I am having a great day. Thank you. And I just want to say thank you for uh, your show. There's so much negativity out there, and it helps me a great deal. My question is, why isn't Tim Allen voicing Buzz Lightyear in a Lightyear movie? Fair question. And I think a lot of people asked that initially when they when news first came out that they were doing this Lightyear film. I think there's, first of all, you don't need it to be Tim Allen. But I think the I think the biggest thing is just from watching the Lightyear trailer, this is clearly a younger, which is weird to say about an animated character, but it is a younger Buzz Lightyear, right? It's a younger Buzz Lightyear, and Tim Allen's voice, if you watch Toy Story Four, has continued. He's I mean, still great and iconic as Buzz Lightyear, but his voice is getting a little bit more. You know, it's doing that thing that voices do as you age, right? Like my voice right now is different than it was ten years ago, but. And Tim Allen's voice. So I think it made sense to change actors. I mean, don't get me wrong. I would have been perfectly happy and perfectly fine if Tim Allen was doing the voice. I'd have no problem with that. I would have been like, oh, man, they, they should have gotten somebody else to do the voice. of." I, I wouldn't have thought that. But I'm also I also didn't blink at the idea that, oh, they're getting somebody else to do it with this young Buzz Lightyear, this young, fresh Buzz Lightyear. The voice probably should be a little bit different. So I think that's the main thing behind it. At least that's my guess. All right. Uh, next up. Um, Suthius writes. Spider-Man No Way Home. Many of us have suggested that the meaning of the title is in regard to Peter not making it back to the MCU's prime reality. That's That's been the speculation, yes. It's also possible that the title could mean the deaths of the other two Peters if they are indeed in it. It's possible. I mean, but there are a lot of things possible. Again, I believe that Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield will be in the movie. I, I believe that. I don't know that. There's no real proof to say that they are, but I believe they will be. I also don't think they're going to play a huge role in the movie if they are. Again, we're all just speculating, but I don't think they're going to play a huge role in the movie if they are. Um, so I don't think the title would be revolved around them. I think the title has something to do with Peter, our Peter. Um, how much and to what degree? Who knows? We'll find out. All right. Next up. Um... Let's see. Brazilian dude writes, 
rewatch the Rappaport movie talk episode, and it might be my favorite. His rants had me in tears after laughing so hard. The reactions from the panelists were equally hilarious. Were you caught by surprise by his passionate perspective? Thanks and bring on the filthy. Yeah, listen, I I adored that. For those of you who didn't know, we had uh, the actor Michael Rappaport come in and was a guest on Movie Talk once. And listen, why I disagreed with a ton of the stuff that he said, he was a fabulous guest. He was like the perfect guest. He was, man, his rant and the way he would roll, it had us dying and in stitches. He was pretty fantastic. Again, I disagreed with most stuff that he said, but he was a fantastic. That was not not my favorite episode of Movie Talk ever, but it, it would have to rank up there in my top 10 favorite movie back in the movie talk era. One of my top 10 favorite movie talk era moments was having him on as a guest. That was great. All right. Next up, we got Christopher Rosado who writes one of two. Hey, John, correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember hearing that when the empire strikes back came out in 1980, I I was seven years old. So I don't know uh, that, that it was met with mixed reviews due to the tone shift and not being what audiences back then thought of star Wars, a star Wars movie should be. Um, I know it's hard to predict the future, but with everyone saying Eternals is different than any other MC movie yet, do you think Eternals in 10, 20 years could be the same situation over time people appreciate the movie more? Well, first of all, let me say, I don't know what, um, I don't know what the, the general consensus was at the time when Empire Strikes Back came out. I was just too young. I was just too young. So I, I don't really remember that or um, what it meant or or what the consensus was. I have no recollection of that. Is Listen, but here's the thing. Whenever a movie comes out that people are looking forward to or that a certain group of people are looking forward to and it starts getting negative reviews, what inevitably happens every single time is people say, well, there was this one movie in 1989 that had bad reviews at first, and it went on to become an all-time classic. Well, yes, there have been a couple of examples of that over the years and decades and thousands of films that have come out. There have been a handful of examples of a movie that came out that a lot of people didn't like at first and then later went on to really achieve kind of legendary status. That's happened, yes. But it's been very, very rare. Very rare. So I think Eternals is definitely going to have its fans. It, I mean, look, let's not lose sight of this. I keep repeating this because it's important. Even with the low... For, for an MCU film, the low critic rating, the fact of the matter is, it still means the majority of critics like this movie. 58% of critics like this movie, uh, 42% don't. That's like a 16-point difference. The majority, even the, as, as it is the lowest MCU critically rated film of all time, That's true. That's a fact. It is the lowest critically rated MCU film ever made. It's still the majority of critics like this movie. You can't lose sight of that. But that being said, I don't think the odds of this becoming over the years 
one of the most beloved and treasured and seen as an iconic movie. I don't think that's likely. And I say that as somebody who likes this movie. I'm going to go see it for a third time tonight. I clearly like this movie. But no, the odds of it becoming one of those really rare exceptions and becoming one of the the most great beloved films as the years go on, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. All right, uh, next up. I missed one earlier from Scott Brown who writes, The Uncharted trailer was okay. I've played all the games, so I might be biased, but I've always viewed Drake as Han Solo playing Indiana Jones. Not sure if Holland can pull that off, but we'll see. And Wahlberg in Blockbusters has been awful at times, like Transformers. Yeah, the movies have been awful. Here's the thing I'll say about Mark Wahlberg. It's rarely Mark Wahlberg's fault. Like, you look at Mark Wahlberg in, like, The Happening. Remember that? That was clearly not his fault. And you even hear him talking about The Happening now after the fact. Years later, it's like, yeah, man, I don't know what the hell we were doing on that movie. Jeez. I mean... He's not used to the problem. They are clearly going for a younger Nathan Drake because they believe this is a franchise. They don't, they're not looking at this as a one-shot movie. They're looking at this as a franchise and not just as a franchise for the next five years. They're looking at Uncharted as a potential franchise for the next 12 years. And they got themselves an actor at a certain age who's going to be able to be Nathan Drake for 5, 10, 15 years. Maybe not as long as Hugh Jackman played Wolverine, but they've got themselves an actor now who can play this role for a long time. And we'll see. We'll see how it turns out, Scott. All right, uh, next up, uh, we've got Corey uh, Giddings, who tips in like $20. Thank you, Corey. Appreciate that, man. Who writes, John, It's been two years since we've seen an event film like The Avengers. So uh, could you see the next event movie coming in 2022, like the Batman, Avatar 2, or Black Panther, Wakanda Forever? Well, look, let's let's say this. None of those are going to be the next Endgame. None of those are going to, you know, be the next biggest blockbuster film of all time, like Endgame was before Avatar passed it again. But I don't think any of those are going to be that. But... We've got, we were just talking about Spider-Man No Way Home is coming. I think this movie's going to be huge. Now, I'm not guaranteeing it's going to be a hundred, it's going to make a billion dollars at the box office, but if any film right now in our pandemic recovery era has the chance of being a billion dollar film at the box office, it's this Spider-Man No Way Home. So that's the one that's got the best shot, I think, Corey. So that that's my guess at any rate. Thank you so much for writing that in, dude. And thank you for supporting our channel on that level, man. We appreciate that. All right. Uh, next up, and this is our last one of the day, guys. Comes to us from Film Fan Rant, who writes, I want to thank you, John, for, for providing that I watch your show because we have different points of view. Well, that's important, man. That's totally important. Um, The Batman and Arthur Fleck concept finally showed my friends that. Even though I told them that you will hate it, Eternals this Thursday for me. Uh, If you're talking about uh, that, where you wrote in that theory about having Joaquin Phoenix, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker crossover with the Robert Pattinson Batman, yes, I don't like that. But you highlighted the most important thing, film fan. That the idea, and I get this all the time, the idea is not to... Every, every for all of us to agree with each other. Where's the fun in that? That's not the point. You know, I've always said this. My job as a film pundit, as a YouTuber, is not to say what you agree with. And it's not, it is also not my job to convince you to agree with me. 
That's not my job. Too many YouTubers out there in every different area, tech YouTubers, shoe YouTubers, entertainment YouTubers, whatever. There are too many YouTubers out there who think it's their job to either, number one, just say what the audience already thinks because that will make me popular, and maybe it will to a degree, or they think it's their job to convince the audience to agree with them. Neither of those are my job. My job, and you've heard me say this, is to give you my honest, my understanding of the context of a situation and then give you my perspective and opinion on it in as honest as a way and as in as effective a way as I possibly can. Because if I present you with my perspective and opinion in an effective way, it should either help you firm up why you agree with me or the opposite, help you really understand and firm up why you disagree with me. That's the point. It's not to make it so we all agree. There's no fun in that, and that's that's not what art is. That's not what this, this industry is. But it, I should be able to communicate to you my honest thoughts and perspectives on something in such a way that makes you more solid in why you agree with me or more firm up about and help you understand better about why you disagree with me. It's not about agreeing with each other. It's about having different perspectives. It's about having different points of view when it comes to the subjectivity of art. And if that happens, then I love it. I love it. Seriously, one of my favorite things is when people write in and not when they say, hey, John, love your show. I always find I agree with you. I mean, cool. Thank you. But what I really appreciate, I find, is when people write in and honestly say, hey, you know what, John? Uh, I find half the time I totally disagree with you and I love watching the show. That, to me, is the best. That, to me, is the best. But anyway, but I appreciate everybody, whether you agree with me all the time, agree with me half the time, or disagree with me all the time. I appreciate all of you being here, and that's the whole idea. All right, guys, with that down, that'll do it. For today's installment of the John Campia Show, thank you so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Big special thank you to you guys who sent in Super Chat badges in the live chat and you guys who sent in these tip questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it and all of us involved here at the John Campia Show. Thank you guys so very much for your support. Uh, don't forget, guys, go and give that uh, aperture. This uh, episode was brought to you by Get Upside. Go and give get upside give get upside say that three times fast go and give get upside a shot download the app there's absolutely no commitment to it there's no downside to it there's nothing you have to put into it download it use the promo code campia and then let me know about your experiences using it as well all right guys don't forget to join us again tomorrow for the next episode of the john campia show can't wait to see you there that'll do it for me guys my name is john campia and until next time my friends bye-bye